0: Welcome, welcome to another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. Hey, it's Kelly, and I'm glad to be kicking off another episode with you. So today, I wanna to talk about a current event that pretty much everybody is talking about right now, and it seems to be triggering a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons. It's the Gabby Petito story, and I'm not gonna rehash it here on Survivor Sanctuary because I'm sure that unless you've been living under a rock for the last couple of weeks, you've, you've heard the story, it's been in the news, it's been in print, and so many people on Facebook, and other places have been talking about it. Of course, it's a heartbreaking story. If for some reason you have been living under a rock or maybe you live without like a television or a phone and you're not doing much scrolling. I actually told my sister about this story just a few days ago. She hadn't heard it. She's like, I'm super busy. I've been grading papers because she's a teacher and she hadn't had the opportunity to uh, like even hear about the story yet. So She looked it up, and of course, it was triggering to her for a few different reasons. But I noticed something as a survivor of sexual abuse that just kept coming up for me as all these stories went around online. And it was just a trigger related to the way that Gabby acted when she and her boyfriend were stopped by police because someone had seen an altercation between the two of them and had called 911. Now, the couple, I believe it was, that saw the altercation said that Gabby's boyfriend was hitting her. And that's the reason they called the police because he was actually physically violent with her and was physically assaulting her, and that is why they called. Um, But when the police arrived, if you've seen the body cam footage of this incident with police, then you know that he seemed, he being the boyfriend very calm. He seemed very cool. He seemed very collected and was just kind of joking around with the officers, kind of getting on their good side. Now, we'll say one thing about joking around with officers. When I'm nervous, I joke around incessantly. So that's probably something that I would be doing. So joking around doesn't necessarily make someone an abuser, but it's just interesting when you look at the difference between the two of them. And when the police officers leave, I mean, after everything that has happened, not just from what Gabby's boyfriend has said about her, but what she said about herself and and the way that she kind of carried herself during this. And listen, this is not a criticism of the way that an abused woman was acting after her boyfriend had physically abused her. And, you know, they got stopped for the incident. And she was basically blamed for it. I'm not criticizing Gabby in any way. I just see a lot of parallels here between this kind of abuse, and I guess because we deal with sexual abuse here on this podcast and sexual abuse within the church, all kinds of abuse. You can find similarities between all kinds of abuse because many abusers are just so, so similar whether they're narcissistic and they abuse mentally, whether they're physically abusive to their spouse or their children, or whether they're sexually abusive. You can draw a lot of similarities between abusers because abuse, especially at its just basic level, is to treat someone with cruelty or violence, uh, to treat someone in a way they don't deserve to be treated. I like how there's a difference between the noun abuse and the verb abuse, but you can actually draw parallels there as well, because the noun is the improper use of something such as alcohol abuse. But we could say that all abuse is the improper use of human beings, and that would be abuse as well. So I think that maybe that's why We're finding so many people who are triggered by this. And I have some people that I know who are survivors of domestic violence and not even so much physical abuse as much as just like a mental and emotional abuse for years. And they're like, I watched that video with Gabby and her boyfriend and I was all kinds of triggered. And we're seeing that all over the internet right now. Well, I think that one of the reasons that this might be triggering for a survivor of sexual abuse, um, if like me, when you read the story about Gabby or when you saw the videos of her reaction after the police stopped them after the physical altercation between her and her boyfriend you've got one person who's super calm and collected and who basically is like, you know, hey guys, I I don't know what to say. She's just very hysterical right now and she's kind of crazy, got to calm her down. Um, I did not watch all of the body cam footage because I, I don't want to invest that much of my life <laughs> into uh, seeing this tragedy. And it's not, again, nothing against the victim. It's that it's like, it's hard to take that on. And so um, props to the people who were able to do it and watch every minute of the body cam footage. But I kind of had to just stick to the highlights and read a little bit about it. Because um, I don't know, it just it made me feel horrible. It made me feel horrible for Gabby, of course, and knowing the outcome, you know, now that they've found a body, and they're pretty sure that it's her. But it made me feel horrible as a survivor of sexual abuse. Because honestly, it reminded me so much of the difference between how abuse survivors come across to people in the church and how abusers come across to people in the church. And maybe I shouldn't say how they come across, but the difference in how they're treated. And I do want to say that I don't I'm not analyzing how the police officers treated this situation. I don't know enough about what they're supposed to do and what they're not supposed to do um to really form a, a big opinion one way or the other there. But I will say that in watching them interact with Brian, Gabby's boyfriend who is probably also her murderer, allegedly, got to put that in there. Um the way that they talked to him and the way that they treated him Um, And then the way that they treated her. So it just reminded me of how sexual abuse survivors are treated in the church sometimes. And this is not to say like every single thing that happens that that's in the news, we get to blame the church for. Because as far as I know, Gabby Petito had nothing to do with church. She had nothing to do with uh, religion. Maybe her boyfriend didn't as well. I don't know any of those details. And that's not really what I'm trying to compare right now, like how Gabby personally was treated by the church. I'm talking more about how the church treats perpetrators of abuse in comparison to how they treat survivors of abuse because so often the perpetrator of abuse within a church is somebody that's trusted. It's somebody that's in a high position. It's somebody that is able to get behind a pulpit and just mesmerize people with his words. It's somebody that's able to just draw people like a magnet, have like a dynamic personality. Everybody loves them. Everybody thinks they're the best things in sliced bread. You have these men and women who, by and large, are people that are extremely trusted and respected within the church. And then you have a victim of sexual abuse. And in a lot of cases of child sexual abuse um, or sexual abuse in general, it doesn't even have to be of children, perpetrators will choose victims who are vulnerable in some way. You might see a perpetrator who chooses the child who is super shy and is kind of scared to talk. You may see a perpetrator choose a child who has a really bad home life. Maybe their parents aren't there for them, and they think, well, their parents have issues, and they're working really hard, and they already are super busy, and they probably don't have much time to pay attention to their kids. So it'll be easy to emotionally manipulate this child if they are in want of attention. It's also going to be easier to get away with it because no one's paying attention to what's happening to the kid anyway. So, a lot of times before abuse occurs, you have a child that may have already some things going on in their life that they are struggling with. I don't like when people say that perpetrators just choose, you know, these issue riddled children because they're easier to abuse or they're susceptible to abuse. I don't like making it sound like there's some flaw in a child that Makes them vulnerable to abuse. It's not a flaw in in a child. It's not like if you were sexually abused, like, like I was, like I was a shy kid. There were five kids. My parents did not have a whole lot of attention to go around, but there was no flaw in me that made me like easy to be abused, you know, like I somehow contributed to my own abuse. So I think we need to be careful about that. But I think that it is clear, especially when you look at the percentage of children with developmental delays or learning disabilities who end up dealing with sexual abuse. And it's greater than the population of children that, that does not have learning disabilities and that do not have developmental delays. So, while I don't think it's that there's a flaw in the child, I think that you do have to look at some of the life circumstances, the situation kids find themselves in. Like they didn't pick their parents, they didn't ask their parents to be too busy to pay attention to them. You know, that has nothing to do with the child themselves, but it's just a reality. It may be easier to worm your way in when a kid is not getting attention paid to him by anybody else. And you'll hear abusers talk about this. A book I read recently. About a child molester, he basically said, like, the way that he got attention from all the kids was just talking to them and basically paying attention to them. He, he was like, nobody in their lives was talking to them. Like, nobody was paying attention to them. So, when I let them talk and I acted like, you know, their opinion was valid and what they had to say was interesting or worthwhile, like, I really earned the trust of these kids very, very, very quickly. So, his warning to parents was talk to your stinking kids, you know, find out what interests them and be a part of their lives and don't. Just act like they're these afterthoughts because that's what makes it easy for a person to get in and really influence a child and make them more vulnerable to abuse. I just like to put that caveat in there, like I'm not saying that, oh, we have some flaw in us, there's something wrong with us, and it makes us more vulnerable to abuse. No, usually they're environmental factors, they're things that we have no control over in our lives, Um, but they, they might, yes, make us more of a target for an abuser, because that abuser knows I can manipulate this area of this person's life, and this area, and this area, and I can work that to my advantage so that I don't get caught. So a lot of times we've already got things that we're dealing with in our lives that might make us a little more susceptible to abuse. And maybe somebody you know has a history of issues. Um, I, I think of this situation with a local ministry here in South Florida where a child accused a leader of sexual abuse And this child told a counselor she was having a lot of problems. They took her to counseling. She told the counselor that she had been sexually abused by this leader in the ministry. And, you know, all the right things were done. Like a police report was filed and this person was talked to and there was an investigation. And like everything was done correctly. There wasn't really enough evidence of anything occurring for them to be able to press any kind of charges. But when people from the ministry tell this story, story. And they're not trying to stage any kind of cover-up, but when they tell the story, they say, well, she had a lot of problems. She lied a lot. She had a real problem with lying. And so, you know, none of us know whether we really can believe her, that he actually did anything to her, you know, because she had a lot of problems. And it's just kind of like, yeah, she had a lot of problems. She lied a lot and she got in trouble a lot in your ministry. Therefore, she's probably lying about having been abused. Those kinds of things abusers use to their advantage. And I think of like, you look at two people like Brian Laundrie and Gabby Petito, and you see her crying hysterically, trying to blame herself for everything, talking about all her issues and all the things that make her a terrible person, which are probably things that he tells her often make her a terrible person. And then you see him you know, kind of just calm and cool. Like I'm just trying to calm down the crazy person. I'm just like, you know, I don't even know what's going on. It's just, she has some problems and just trying to keep her calm. You know, I'm just this great guy who is just totally like chill. And it just reminds me so much of that dynamic, like the abuser and the abused. And when they come forward, well, the abuser typically doesn't come forward in church, but when an abused kid comes forward or even an an abused, uh, an adult who was abused as a kid, that's almost the way that we see it this is this troubled troubled person and they're so troubled that you know they needed to make up this story about this amazing person who we know that we can trust and would never abuse anybody because he's just awesome and he buys groceries for the elderly and you know he shovels snow and the winter time for people who need it and he's always there to help you out with anything you need and he's just soft-spoken like totally calm cool collected person this deacon in our church this pastor in our church this Sunday school teacher whoever they may be, they've got the respect and they've got the trust of the congregation. And then you have the abuse person that not only are they dealing with whatever whatever was a part of their life that might have made them more susceptible to the abuse, like say the person in the ministry I was just talking about, this girl, um, she was already known for lying. She was already known for being attention seeking. She was already known for some troublesome behavior in the ministry. So she's already got that you have all those things that may make you more susceptible to the abuse. And then on top of it, you have the behavior that comes as a result of having been abused. Because often... I would say in most cases, a child's gonna be sexually abused and you're gonna notice something different in their behavior. Um, I feel like my personality changed, and I don't know because I was six. I can't say for sure that I would have grown up and acted like completely different. I don't think that everything about my personality changed, but I do know that the way that I interacted with human beings became very, very different after I was abused. Before I was abused, I remember being shy. I remember being pretty quiet. I was an emotional kid. Like I would cry easily, get my feelings hurt easily, but it was more like a quiet kind of emotion. Like I don't recall like, you know, needing a whole lot of loudness to get attention or anything like that. And then you have me post-abuse where I was just a more combative person. I, I was more prickly on the exterior and that's just how I went through life as probably a defense mechanism. It was just put up to protect myself, you know, from all the vulnerability that had made me susceptible, in my mind, had made me susceptible to abuse. I mean, I know now that those vulnerabilities were beautiful and they were good things and that you know my perpetrator just took those things and used them against me and that didn't make those things bad and it didn't make me a flawed human being for having dealt with those things. It just was an evil person trying to use anything he could to get what he wanted, which was to sexually abuse little children. So you've got whatever parts of your life, um, your living conditions, your family life, you know, even things in your DNA, if you happen to be born more susceptible to anxiety or to depression, uh, maybe you have a learning disability or or ADHD or something like that. Um, Anything that could possibly make you a more appealing target to a person who really wants to make sure they don't get caught. And then on top of that, you have all of the trauma responses that you're dealing with and how you react to people now, how, how you view the world now, how you handle yourself in any given situation. You've got all of that. And then it's like, you're the person trying to come forward and say, hey I was abused or you're the person who maybe you're not saying it out loud but maybe your your actions and your behavior it's all just like crying out like someone please notice there's something wrong and that I need help like please 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 notice and that's kind of how I felt that I lived my life for a good long while like just somebody noticed that I need help <laughs> like that that's all I wanted you know someone noticed that everything's not okay and that Kelly might need some help. Um, You have a person who's troubled, and I put troubled in air quotes just then. I know you can't see my air quotes, but I totally use them anyway when I'm here on the mic. Um, troubled in air quotes, because I don't mean troubled, like again, you're not like fundamentally flawed. It's you're troubled because someone has made you that way. Like you're literally troubled inside from the thing that has been perpetrated that is horrible. And that's kind of how like I view Gabby as she's like crying hysterically and you know, blaming herself for everything. Well, I have OCD and I have anxiety and I have this and this and this and this. And, you know, he's just such a great person. And I'm scum, essentially. So while she's very clearly the victim, in hindsight, or in retrospect, standing in front of the officers who are trying to figure out the situation, if you know nothing about abuse and the dynamics of abusers and victims, then you would think this girl is hysterical and she's blaming herself. Obviously, you know, she must have done something that caused all this. And then you have him calm and he just seems like a normal, calm guy who just wants what's best for her or whatever. And what ends up happening is we take the abuser's word for it because they're the person who's delivering it with this, like super shiny, calm, you know, nice exterior and who would we rather deal with at the end of the day? And this is not victim blaming. I'm like asking these questions so that we'll really be honest with ourselves. You know, if I am in a situation of stress and tension, do I wanna be in a situation of stress and tension with a person who is just totally calm, cool and collected and can can be like the voice of reason and can be like a help in that situation? Or do I wanna have the person with me who is like not okay and is gonna to need to be comforted and it's gonna need all this help? I think that it's easier for us to believe someone in a situation like where there are accusations being thrown around. It's easier to believe the person who is being like calm. And I hate to say that because honestly, their calmness should have nothing to do with it. Because, like, if they're a sociopath, like, they're perfectly capable of being calm in any situation. Like, you know, that should not be our default, but it seems to be. And it seems to be that way in the church as well. If a person comes forward and says, you know, I I was abused, and then you find out that this person is, let's say, promiscuous. Um, And I say like you, I'm talking about like church leaders, you know, uh, an abuse victim comes forward and says, Hey, I was abused. And this person sexually abused me. And you look at this, you know, pastor, this deacon, Sunday school teacher, whoever he is, bus driver, who's never heard a fly that you know of, and seems like the most gentle and loving and wonderful person on earth. And then you look at the alleged victim. And this person, you know, is uh, like has had issues with being very promiscuous in the past, maybe, Maybe they've already had like a teen pregnancy or something. I mean, I might be going to extremes here, but you look at the person with the problem, and it's just easier to write that person off and believe the person who looks the part and who acts the part. And I think it's so important for us to remember, in churches especially, uh, when we have victims coming forward who need help, it's important to remember that abusers. Are really good actors. And in fact, maybe they don't even have to act like as far as staying calm in a situation of tension. Like they know what to do to emotionally manipulate. They know what to do when a quote unquote crazy person, you know, comes forward and says that they've done something wrong. They know exactly how to present themselves to be like, oh my goodness, I I don't even know what this person is talking about. Like I've never hurt this person in in my life. I would never do anything like that. you know, I, we need to pray for her because she's just clearly disturbed. Like, it's not fair like that. Um, and maybe that sounds a little like a petulant kid. It's not fair, but it seems that way. Like, it's not fair. And we see this in the survivor community as well. Now, sometimes people will look at somebody, like we've had some guests here on the show. And we've also had some people who aren't guests on the show, but who are active in the Survivor Sanctuary uh, Facebook group who have been called like troubled young people, like a troubled young lady or a troubled young man, because they came forward about having been sexually abused. And, and I want to slap the people who say it, because I'm like, if you knew this person, you know, if you, if you like ever had a conversation with them, you would know they're not troubled. Like they're actually very like calm, cool and collected themselves. This is just something that actually happened to them and you choose not to see it. But then we have a lot of instances where um, the last episode of Survivor Sanctuary, when I talked to Mindy Hood, uh, same thing with her. You know, she she was like, I had a lot of problems related to the abuse, and she had a lot of problems before the abuse, and it it made it easy for people in her church to write her off as the bad kid, the bad kid who's just making it up, the bad kid who, you know, told this story, and it's probably not true because she's the bad kid, you know, and so We're not going to listen to her. We're not going to do anything to help her. We see that over and over and over again in churches. Perpetrators who choose to abuse people who are not going to be believed if they come forward. And then you have people coming forward who have had some sort of issue in the church, maybe haven't been the perfect Christian, or they come from a bad home life, or maybe they've been caught lying, or maybe they're a little bit loud and obnoxious and attention-seeking because they don't get enough attention at home, whatever the case may be it is so much easier to not listen to a person like that and just chalk them up to like, okay, that person just has issues. But like newsflash, someone who is sexually abused as a child Is going to have issues. I'm not saying that you are flawed. Again, this is not you have a flaw in your character. It's that you have issues that have to be worked out. You have things to deal with mentally and emotionally and often physically that the average person who was not abused does not have to deal with. That's just the reality of being a survivor of sexual abuse. So it doesn't demean you in any way to say, that you have some issues that have to be worked out after sexual abuse. It's one of the most traumatizing things that can happen to a person. And I just wish that as Christians, as people in the church, even just as human beings in general, that we could get this through our heads. And I don't know, maybe this story will help some people to kind of see the light. You cannot tell how a person behaves in private by the way that they behave in public. I don't know if you've seen that meme going around. It shows like this furious woman and it says like my mom 30 seconds before church. And then, like my mom, when we walk through the door, and she's like, you know, evil and horrible, and like smacking the kids. And then in church, it's like, oh, hi everyone, happy Sunday. I mean, I remember that. I was a pastor's kid and a missionary kid, and we used to go to churches all the time. And we fighting like cats and dogs in the car. I'm in mean, big fights, and like you're you put it all aside. You walk through the door, you plaster that smile on your face. It's just what's socially acceptable. Like you you don't go in and air your dirty laundry for the most part. But how people portray themselves to you in a public setting, when you've never been alone with them, you cannot know that that's how they behave in private. You can't. And so when you come across a person who seems emotional and who seems like they may have a difficult home life or who may be struggling with something like anxiety or OCD or any other kind of mental health issue, you have to be really careful about not giving the benefit of the doubt to the person that they're accusing, Um, especially if that person is, again, like calm and just a pillar of the community, never loses his temper, never gets upset. You know, um, this person may seem like just the best thing ever in public, but that doesn't mean that when a person comes to you and says, this person has physically hurt me, um, that you should ignore it you know, or this person has a lot of issues in their life. So honestly, we probably shouldn't believe them. And I hate that in church, that that's kind of the way that it ends up The same as in many places in the world, Um, but I would almost go as far as to say in some places in the world we're getting it right, you know, where churches are not because I think more and more people are beginning to understand that it doesn't matter how much you trust someone. It doesn't matter how esteemed someone may be in the community. That is not a guarantee that this person is not harming people. And it's also, I don't even want to say like, it's not a guarantee that they're not harming people. It's, they're almost more likely. Um, So many abusers are are the quiet ones. They're the people who are like the one you would never suspect. I, I know in, in my family, in my extended family, like a situation where a woman was married and she was married for just years and years and years. And Never said a bad word about her husband. And we all thought that he was this wonderful person. He was like quiet and very unassuming. And he just seemed so easygoing. And, you know, people thought if there was ever an issue in that marriage, it was not going to be with him. And he ended up being like a really terribly abusive person and hiding behind that, like, oh, I'm so nonchalant and so easygoing kind of persona. But you cannot tell. Whether or not a person is abusive by how they act in church or by how they act in public at a family get together. Because an abusive person doesn't typically go around abusing everyone. And I'll bring it back home to us as survivors of sexual abuse. I should say we as survivors of sexual abuse got to get the grammar right. Sexual predators don't prey on every single person. I mean, you could make an argument, I guess, that an abuser abuses everyone with their deception. You know, I'm sure there's a way in there that we could turn it into that. But as far as like the sexual abuse of children, a person who sexually abuses children is not going around sexually abusing every single person. They're not walking into church with a sign on them that says I'm a sexual abuser. Abusers get away with abusing by not acting like abusers in public. I mean, that's pretty much what it is. You know, if everybody walked around acting like they were on the prowl to sexually abuse children, we would probably have fewer instances of it in the church. But instead, you have people that are literally using this persona of somebody that's super trustworthy, that's super respectable, that's super godly in order to deceive so that they can get what they want, which is to sexually abuse children. And I think that as as just human beings in general, yes, but as the church especially, if we're going to minister to survivors of sexual abuse, it has to start with just believing them at face value when they say that they were abused and responding correctly. That doesn't always mean you can control the outcome of what happens. But I think far too often we just have this bias toward, well, I know that this person has issues. You know, I I know that this kid like was shoplifting and got arrested or, you know, he served some time in juvie. So if he says this person sexually abused him, like, can we really trust him when this person's been serving on our deacon board for so long? I mean, you know, we have that bias. It's just easier to believe the clean cut person who just seems to be respectable and awesome. But the only way that abusers get away with their abuse and get away with it for as long as they seem to be getting away with it is by having this false persona. It's a double life that they're living. And the way that they react when they're accused of sexual abuse can't really be used as the gauge to decide whether or not they're guilty. You can't just believe someone because they seem respectable. Who a person is in public Does not begin to tell you everything you need to know about what this person is like in private. Can it tell you some things? Sure. Can it tell you whether or not a person would sexually abuse a child? Not really. Unfortunately, um, as it looked like in the Gabby Petito case, as her boyfriend kind of has the attention of the officers and they're telling him that he's the victim in this, um, we we react that same way in the church, you know, the respectable guy who is calm and, you know, acts like, oh, gosh, I'm just... Out here trying to do the best I can do and and help my girlfriend. And, you know, unfortunately, she has a lot of issues. You know, we believe the Brian Laundries of the world instead of the Gabby Petitos, the people who are crying out for help. And I really would love to see that change in the church. And that's just been on my mind this week. as I've been watching the story in the news, and just realizing that uh, it's it's so like I don't want to say it's so unfair. I sound like a bratty little kid. Like it's not fair, but that's just what I I kept thinking when I saw this poor girl, like. You know, and I say girl, like in her 20s, but a young lady, like just crying and blaming herself and her emotions are in knots, which is what abusers do to their victims. And then the abuser does all of this to their victims, whether it's a, a physical abuser, emotional or sexual, they they do this to their victims. They make their victims the way that they are. And then they capitalize on what they've done in order to come out looking like the innocent victim. And I hate it. I hate it so much. And we need to learn to see through that. Or I should say the church needs to learn to see through that. Well, that's what I wanted to talk to you about on this episode of Survivor Sanctuary. A reminder that you can join us and join the conversation on Facebook. We have a Facebook group called Survivor Sanctuary Podcast. Search for it, answer a question to get in, and I'll add you to the group and you can join the conversation there. Until next time, stay safe and thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.